Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. When you leave this place, your Christianity changes, you're insincere. Insincere would be another word to be saying, say, we could also say fake. Right? If you know how to put on for this place, oh God bless you, oh praise the Lord, blah, blah, blah. And you leave the parking lot, maybe you don't even get out of the parking lot. And your, your voice tone changes, your language changes. If you get out there and you live in another kind of way, if there's an insincerity about your walk, you want to repent of that. Americans have become obsessed with reality TV shows over the last 20 years. We love to see behind the scenes and know the fly on the wall things that one character says about another character behind their backs. The hypocrisy and insincerity make for good ratings, but this type of behavior is exactly what Jesus Christ abhors. Today, Pastor Bill encourages you to repent of any insincerity you have in your walk with Christ. With Him as a pillar and guide, your life should look similar in all circumstances. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 as he continues his message, Stand Your Ground. Here's what happens. When you begin to believe God for what you want, what happens when you don't get it? You're disappointed. You're bummed out. And who, who do you feel like let you down? God. But God didn't let you down. You were believing the wrong way. But when you put your faith in what God says, you will never be let down. When your faith is in what he said, right? God, this is what you said to do, Lord. I'm standing my ground in faith because this is what you said to do. And even though it looks really rough right now, right? Even though it looks like it's not going to happen right now, God, you said. So I'm standing in faith. I believe you, God. That's where we're, God, I'm believing you now. I'm believing you for what you said. I'm believing you for what you said you would do. Right. And, and that's where that's how faith works. And so when it says that we we take on the shield of faith, how do you put that on? You stand in faith, faith in God's word. And it might be God's personal word to you. Right. There are things that God has personally spoken to me where I believe I can say I'm believing God for that because he told me that. Right. I, as I pray, the Lord gave me that word. There are things that are in the written word of God where I can definitely believe the Lord for that. This is what God's what your word says. I can read it back and, and quote it and go over it. And so but. Don't fall into the trap of faith in faith or faith in what you want. That will set you up to be disappointed and kind of move it in the wrong direction. Our faith is in God. And so it's interesting that it says above all. And the idea of because I read, I'm like, does that mean that this is the most important? It's not the most important. Um, the idea is in, it's in addition to the previous thing. But here's why it's, I believe it says above all the shield of faith. All the other things are are nullified if you're not a person that will believe God. Right. What good is my practical righteousness if I won't believe God? What good is my standing in the truth if I won't have faith in God? God don't, I, I have the truth, but I don't have faith in God. I don't believe you. I believe that faith is critical for the life of the believer. Everything requires faith. Right. I believe in a God that I've never seen. Right. Most of us here, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, have never seen. I've never seen Jesus. I wasn't there when he died on the cross. I wasn't there when he rose from the grave. My entire relationship with the Lord is by faith. And so without faith, if I remove the element of faith, um, it's kind of null and void. I mean, what am I willing to do if I don't believe? And so faith is what many times is under attack. And so we live in a world and parents need to listen up. You need to really do your job to equip and prepare your kids because your kids, especially in the public school system, they're in a school system that attacks the faith. 
And so if you haven't prepared them for it, if you haven't given them answers or, or, or discuss it with them when they come home, it's like sending them out to have their faith destroyed before it's built up. Be mindful, right? Be mindful when you send your kids to, to our, so you guys are preparing your kids for college. It's, it's a fact that college is set out to, there are certain classes where they will ask outright, anybody here a Christian? Let's go ahead and get this out of the way right now. We're, we're going to destroy that off top so we can go ahead, because we can't sow in what we want to sow in if you believe that way. And so, you know, be mindful that these institutions of higher learning, who are they set up by? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? I mean, who's really in charge of all of that information? Who's in charge? The prince and power of the world. And so we can raise that up as education, the most important thing, and you educate your kid right out of the faith. And they'll have a PhD and go to hell when they're done. Be mindful. I'm not saying that we don't send our kids to school, but don't send them unprepared. Don't send them to elementary, junior high, high school, or college unprepared. They need to know what they believe, why they believe it. They need to be able to ask difficult questions and get answers. They need preparation before they go out into that mess. Because they're definitely going out into a world that's going to bombard them with lies. And the difficult thing is this. When, when those that seem educated, all they all seem to believe the same lie. And so, you know, if they're not solid in their faith, it's like, man, they all believe that. Uh, I remember a family member I had, I was, I was trying to lead them to the Lord. And we were, we were making good progress. And they were at UCLA. And this, they got a professor there that kind of tore it all down. And they were like, well, that guy has a Ph.D., so I remember, like, what are your words to his words, you know? And that, that, thank God they, they got saved later. But at that time, it was a real challenge. You know, it was like it, for, that, for that person to believe that someone with a Ph.D. could be wrong um, and somebody with, you know, I, I don't obviously I don't have a Ph.D. Um, maybe it would have helped at that moment. So so we want to make sure that we're preparing them with that shield of faith. Next, it says uh, verse 17. I'm sorry. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. And so the helmet obviously would protect the, the mind or the head, you know, which is another vital organs. And so it's called the helmet of salvation, I believe, for a reason that one of the one of the things that I believe the enemy attacks in the life of the believer is they're standing before God. It seems like most of us know that we're saved by grace through faith. Not of ourselves, that God did all the work, that it's not my good life that saves me. But somehow when we start messing up or we fall short, people start wondering, like, oh, well, I don't know if I'm saved because I did that. Well, you know your salvation is not based in what you did. It's based in what Jesus did, right? Why is the helmet of salvation so important? I need to be able to stand in the fact that I am saved. I need to know this, right? In 1 John 5, 13, it says, these things I've written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. Why is it important that I know it? Why is my salvation? Why is it a helmet of salvation? I need to, I need to protect the knowledge that I am saved because if the enemy can attack my mind to where I doubt that I'm saved, it's highly unlikely that I'm going to live on fire for the Lord when I doubt that I'm saved. It's highly unlikely I'm going to be sharing my faith when I'm doubting my own salvation. It's, it's, it's a, it's like a paralyzing a person. I'm no longer sure of what I believe. And so if you look in the you look at the times, the ways that Satan has attacked people in the past, you know, look at how he attacked Eve. First, he attacked what she believed. Right. Because now now first, I got to get you to question what God, you know, what God said. Has God really said you can't eat of every tree? And then once she, you know, after he questioned her, he realized that she added to the word. He said he he went ahead and now he lied on God. No, God knows in the day you eat it, you'll be just like him. And that mindset there was this. First, let me get you to doubt what God said. 
so I can get you to, to, to believe differently than what God said. So you'll do different than what God wants. And it was a process. He took his time talking to her until she first looked at the fruit and said, don't eat it or touch it or you'll die. And after she got done talking to Satan, she said, now it looked desirable to the eyes and good for food and desirable to make one wise. And she took and she ate and shared with her husband. How did she get there? Right. The enemy started here and he moved her down to that place. And the helmet of salvation is so important because if I don't believe I'm saved, well, then all the things that will ensue, since I'm not a believer, I don't believe I'm saved. Then why would I live this way? Why would I succumb to these rules? Why would I observe these ordinances? Why would I live this way? Why would I share this with you? All of that follows suit. And so the helmet of salvation, I need to stand in that. And so if you're a person that is kind of waffles, I know at some churches they do altar calls and the same people come up every week and get saved. And it's like, no, that's bad. That means they're not standing in the truth of salvation. Now, I'm not saying that they're rededicating, you know, you can rededicate yourself as, I guess, as often as you need to rededicate yourself, hopefully, you know, whatever we have to, but, but we need to know, once you're saved, you need to know, now, I'm born again, and I'm, I'm solid on that. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. So anything else is, is another page, but I'm definitely born again. You need to be able to stand in that. And so how do you put on the helmet of salvation? You, you, you need to be able to stand in the truth that we are saved. We're saved through what Jesus did for us on the cross, not anything that we have done. We have believed and received his salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection, what he did for us. So take on, take the helmet of salvation, and then the, the final piece of offensive weapon, it says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, is, it gives us right there what it is, the word of God. That one, I think, is, is easiest of all, you know, to, to look at. You know, we said with each piece of the armor, you need to stand in it. How do you stand on the word of God or stand in the truth of God's word? And so the best practical picture of this is Jesus. And in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Jesus was specifically attacked by Satan. And each time he responded with the word. And here's the important thing, because, again, there are people that feel like I could just quote the word. And that's enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to just speak the word. I'm going to just speak the word over my situation. I, 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 wanna, I, hope, I want us to know better than that, you guys. Don't be walking around speaking the word over situations. Live the word over your situation. If Jesus had a said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and then commence to go ahead and make bread, what good would that have been? Right? It was powerful because he knew when Satan attacked, he knew where in the word to dig from. Satan said, turn this stone into bread. Jesus said, no, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Therefore, I'm not doing it. So I'm standing in the truth of God's word. And so for you and me, it's important that we know the word. This is different than standing in the truth, right? The truth of the gospel, the truth about God, that those truths that we stand in, that's one thing. But now when I'm personally attacked, when, when, when I'm challenged about how to live my life, now I, now I stand the sword of the spirit. I'm taking it to the enemy. It might be because it's a personal attack. It might be that I'm personally being, the enemy's coming against me, tempting me to do something I'm not supposed to do, trying to take me off course, which is what he was trying to do to Jesus. You know, don't go to the cross. Just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all this right now. Jesus said, no, no, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. And so practically, how do we use the sword of the spirit? It is in knowing the word and situationally, and then applying it, like living it, doing it. So you got to know it and you got to live it out. You got to stand in the word. Um, and this is going to be specific. And so for some of us that have specific struggles, um, you need to find the verses that deal with those specific struggles. 
Some of y'all deal with anger. You know, you have anger blowouts. You need to have you a repertoire of verses to read and to memorize and to know that, that this all applies to anger, that you get a grip on that. And that, you know, God, God can speak to you real quick. You know, that you hear that verse and you know, it. you know, what? Mm, uh, you know, I want to do this, but the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I, you, I can't tell you how many times that verse has kept me from being overly harsh because I'm looking at a behavior that's not righteous. What I want is a righteous behavior. But God's like, Bill, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That truth has kept me from going off on folks. That Because God's like, if your, your wrath is not going to make them more righteous. That's people in the church. That's your own kids. That's everybody. Your wrath will not produce the righteousness. That has stopped me from not knowing it, but remembering it so I can do it. It has made me shut up sometimes. It has saved me from doing the wrong thing sometimes. And so wherever your struggles are, you know, you need to get you some verses. Everybody here that's married. You should have your repertoire of verses. You should, if you're a husband, you should know all the verses about being a husband by heart. You know, love my wife like Christ loved the church. You know, honor her as a weaker vessel. Heirs together, grace of life. You know, prayers may not be hindered. You know, nurture her and cherish her. You, you should just have all that locked down so that when your wife is feeling special, all that comes back. Love her like Christ loved the church. Oh, I love you today. You know, that it just, it just comes right back to you so you can live it. And you can do it. Same for you wives. You know, wherever you are in life, whatever the struggles happen to be, you get them verses. Now, verse 18, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And so after he looks at all these pieces of armor, he says, hey, don't forget prayer. Praying always, right? This is overrides everything else. We're praying always with all prayer and supplication. Here's the idea. If you look at, you think about a soldier at, at war and, you know, think about our military. You got soldiers on the ground and they got their guns, their weapons, their this, their that. All, they got everything they need to go to war. Well, you know, there's one guy in there that's got the communications and he knows where to go because somebody is communicating with him what direction to go in, where to meet up at, where they're going to get picked up at. You need that guy. You need that guy is in communication with helicopters to come pick you up if you get your leg shot off or whatever. He's important to the program. In the spiritual battle, prayer is that for each one of us, right? I got all this armor on. God, I got my, I got my, my belt of truth. I'm standing in the truth. I'm standing in practical righteousness. I'm standing, my feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. God, I'm standing in faith. I'm believing you for everything you said you would do. I got my helmet of salvation. I'm solid. I know I'm saved. Satan can't make me doubt it. I got the sword of the spirit. I'm chopping Satan's, you know, chopping him up. Bam. I got all this stuff. God's like, well, do you have instructions? Do you know where to go next? Do you know what I want you to do with all that? If you, if that's where I need prayer. God, I need directions. I need prayer. I'm praying. I'm praying and I'm listening. God, I'm talking to you and I'm listening to you. Prayer is two-way communication. Know that. Prayer is, you know, you're communicating with the Lord. And many times when you get done, you need to just be still for a minute. Some of us don't do that. Some of us just pray and we say, ah, in Jesus' name, amen. And we go. Practice sitting still afterwards. Just be quiet for a while. Some of us don't know that the Lord speaks back and in the quiet if you just be quiet. I know he speaks back through the reading of the word. That's important. But for me personally, there are many times where I'll pray and lay some things out there and then just sit there for a minute. And God will come back. God will meet me right there. I'll be sitting in my car or, you know, wherever I'm at and just speak and then be quiet. And let the Lord begin to minister to your heart, minister to your mind and speak back to you. It's communication with the Lord. And so 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Paul's reminding them to be praying for other believers. I think this is so interesting because Paul's in prison and he's encouraging other people to be praying for other people. He's not once said, pray for me yet. He does in another book, but right here he's like, I'm thinking about other people. I'm encouraging you guys to go to war. I'm encouraging you guys how to have victory. I'm, I'm sitting here in prison for sharing the gospel, and I'm telling you guys how to be victorious in battle, how to stand your ground. I'm showing you what to do. Verse 19, now he says, pray this for me. This is what Paul says. Now, if you're in prison, being treated poorly, a Roman prison for preaching the gospel, what's your prayer request? L- listen to Paul's prayer request. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, pray this for me. Pray that I would have opportunity to speak. And when I do, that I would boldly speak the gospel. That's what I want prayer for. I'm not praying to get out of prison. I'm not praying that they treat me better. I'm not praying for a more comfortable life. Paul says, I'm praying that opportunity would be given for me to speak. And when it comes, that God would grant me boldness to do so. He would give me boldness in that moment to speak the truth. You got to listen to these prayers because I think I am convinced that we live in an era of Christianity that that we don't have it right. The Christianity that we see and the Christianity we read in the Bible is so different. Um, So much of what I hear in Christian circles, Christian books, so forth and so on is so much about ourselves. Everything is about us. It's, It's all turned inward. It's all about us. And as I read the Bible, I'm like, man, there's so little of it is about us. Jesus said, die to yourself. Paul's practically living death to self. And I'm like, where do we get the idea that this is all about us? That God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be blessed. God wants me to have stuff. God wants me to favor and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm looking at Paul say, give me boldness. Give me boldness so I don't waste my life. And I'm in here in prison. And I want to share the gospel. When I do get to share it, I want to share it good. God, give me some more boldness. Right? It doesn't sound like he cares about anything else. It doesn't sound like anything else matters to him except I'm, I'm about this. And I, I know I just challenge us to consider how we live in an era of Christianity where our lives can be wrapped up in so much that don't matter. And so little of our lives can be given over to that which matters. I read these things and they challenge my heart. I'm listening to his prayers and I consider my prayers. This is what he's praying for. Give me more boldness. Don't get me out of jail. Don't don't let him treat me better. Don't fix my eye problem. Don't heal me of my ailments. Lord, give me boldness to speak the gospel. Give me go, give me boldness to do better what I'm what I've been called to do. Verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, I'm an ambassador. Uh, we see that in first, I mean, second Corinthians 520, where we also are ambassadors for Christ An ambassador in a, in a natural sense. The U.S. ambassador, let's say, would represent America and its views in China. You know, a Christian ambassador means that we're in this world, but we're not of it. And we're representing Christ and his views in this world. Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. So I am here in prison, but I'm a representative of Christ here in the prison. May each one of us take up the call to be ambassadors, that we be, God, we be God's representative wherever you are. You be God's representation in your job, at your school, on your block, 
in your clubs, on your sports teams, that you would be his representation in that place. And again, he says that in it, I may speak boldly. He wants, he wants God to help him speak boldly. Verse 21, but that you also may know that my affair, know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. And so I want you to know this. Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. He says, but guys, I, I don't want y'all to worry about me. So I sent my brother Tychicus. He's a good brother. He's going to come let y'all know that I'm doing all right. And so just consider that, you know, Paul's worried about them worrying about him. It's like a parent, you know, any parent that's hurting, don't want your kids to know you're hurting. So you're like, no, mom, mama's okay. You know, you, you, you may cover up or hide some things or whatever. Paul is in prison. He's, um, he's worried about believers being discouraged or worried about him. So he's sending Tychicus out to let them know, go tell him I'm doing okay, man. He's just not worried. He's not thinking about himself. Even in that, he's still thinking about others, how they might be affected by his chains. He wants to make sure they're encouraged. I, I hope anybody here that's living real selfish would just be convicted out of selfishness today. Um, last two verses, uh, he says, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And he says, amen. So he gives his final greeting, peace to the brethren, love and faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, grace, cares, unmerited favor of God, be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Paul wouldn't have said those who love Jesus in sincerity if they weren't, if there were not those who love the Lord Jesus insincerely. And so we need to know that in the body of believers, we know the wheat and tear come up together. Amen. Unfortunately, that's the case. And you have people that are sincere and insincere in the same place, same church, same worship circles, same everything, sincere, insincere. It's not for us to go around judging people's sincerity, but I'll speak this. Paul just put that out blatantly. He says, hey, this is just for those. Grace is for those that are loving the Lord in sincerity. And I would just put this out to you, right? If you love the Lord in an in a insincere way, this is what it'll look like. When you leave this place, your Christianity changes, you're insincere. Insincere would be another word to be saying, say, we could also say fake, right? If you know how to put on for this place, oh, God bless you. Oh, praise the Lord, blah, blah, blah. And you leave the parking lot. Maybe you don't even get out of the parking lot and get, your voice tone changes. Your language changes. If you get out there, you live in another kind of way. If there's an insincerity about your walk, you want to repent of that, right? Because people that are good at faking, people that get good at faking, fake all the way until they stand before the Lord, where now you lose, right? If you fake all the way, you fake your walk with the Lord all the way till you die, you lose. Doesn't matter how many people you convince. It don't matter what a great funeral they put on. I got this book by this man named Erwin Lutzer called One Minute After You Die. And he talks about that, how there'll be people who are, you know, grand funerals. He was a great man. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And that person's having their first week in hell. That's just a sobering thought, but it happens. So to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, if you love him in sincerity, you know it. And would you continue to love him in sincerity? Know that the grace of God is upon you. But if you hear that and it strikes a chord, if you know that there's a double, there's another part of your life, there's, a, there's a second person that leaves this building, 
then I would encourage you to repent of that today. And you can be made sincere. You can become, you can become sincere. Be, be uncomfortable about insincerity in your walk with the Lord. It's the one place where you want there to be sincerity and truth because he sees you and me as we truly are. Amen. Thanks for joining Pastor Bill on the Transforming Word as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you're ever or near the Inglewood area, you are more than welcome to join us this weekend for church. We meet at Calvary Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday, and you can get more information on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. You also can call or text us, too, for more information. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website. Again, that is calvaryinglewood.org. As you listen to today's message, we pray that it has not only inspired you in your faith journey, but challenged you in your relationships. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul around the time he was in prison in Rome. This is one of the most inspiring things about Paul. Even when he was facing some of the heaviest of trials, he was still focused on the gospel mission. He still urged unity. He wrote of patience and love and encouraged people to be as one, just as God the Father is one with His Spirit and His Son. This may seem like an impossible thing to accomplish, but when you're living in the Spirit and by the Spirit, it's easier to genuinely love those around you. Well, that's all we have time for today. But Pastor Bill will have more to share from the book of Ephesians next time on A Transforming Word.